Welcome to the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast, where we remember a time when stacks of cards were held together with rubber bands and Mickey Mantles were put in bike spokes. We hope you will enjoy and reminisce as you come along with us as we tell stories about the baseball cards from the Golden Age of Baseball. We will examine the state of the vintage baseball card market and talk to some of the greatest collectors in the hobby. You won't be hearing us talk about any chrome or shiny cards here. Now, to take you on this retrospective journey, here's your host, direct from the shallow end of the gene pool, my son, Mike Moynihan. Yo and hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Golden Age of Cardboard podcast. We are into 2024 going strong and you know I have to show this off if you're not watching on video I'm making the debut of my New York Knights jersey and I won this actually from a good friend of mine George. He's been on the podcast multiple times Diamond Yard Sports Cards is his YouTube channel and he is an Arizona Diamondbacks fan and so when the Rangers were playing the Diamondbacks, we made a little friendly wager before the series, and I won, obviously, because the Rangers won, and this is what he sent me, and I had no idea he was sending me this, and I got it in the mail yesterday, and I was so excited because I, he wears it, he wears his a lot, and I get so jealous, so every time I see it, I'm like, oh, I got to get one of those, you know, got to get one of those, and I never do, and he solved that problem for me, so George, thank you so much, and Sorry, your team lost, but not really sorry, because that means the Rangers won. So far this year, I've had the opportunity to talk to uh, a bunch of different people, ranging from CEOs like Nat Turner to dealers like Craig, uh, dealers and collectors, and uh, Chris Sewell so far this year on this show, at least over the last month or so. But there's one guy that we, if we're going to talk about kind of where the hobby is, where we think the hobby's going, I can have my opinion all day, but there's one guy whose opinion that I really care about hearing from, and he happens to be my guest today on the show, and that's Dr. Jim Beckett. Jim, how are you doing? Doing great, Mike. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Do you like my Roy Hobbs jersey? I do. I do. What's your favorite baseball movie of all time? Do you have a favorite? Oh, I don't think I have a favorite, but that that's a good one. You know, the Field of Dreams. You know, there, there's a, you know, I, I don't really like tear jerkers, but I like a great story. And yeah, uh, yeah forty. Like I like Major League a lot. You Major know, it's comedy, League. right? That's pretty much a comedy. Yeah, right. And Sandlot is fantastic. There's yeah, yeah. so many great baseball themed movies. The Natural. Yes, of course, is one near and dear. I just I think it's a great story. I think it's very apropos for the period of which in which it's set. Right. You could actually imagine that happening. And, well, something uh, like that sort of did happen. I mean, not all the dramatization, but but there are elements of it that are pulled from history. Sure, you got Eddie Wakeus being yeah, the the inspiration for hotel you know, getting shot and all that kind of stuff. Who else? No, I'm just saying it's it's uh, you know that they, they can take artistic license. <laughs> that's fine, sure. but it's still the basic game of baseball that's built around, and it's that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. So I mentioned in my intro, kind of getting the opinions of people based on where we are in the hobby, and yours is one I, I'm sure a lot of people would want to hear. What do you, as we go into 2024 here? This is your you know. How many years in the hobby? I don't even want to want to guess a lot. Yeah. Decades and decades. Is anything different? Well, first of all, it's not an opinion about the past. <laughs> and right. You were there for a lot of it. I was there for a lot of it. And so that's there's kind of a factual record, uh, a pictorial record of uh, what the story was if you go back so many decades. What nobody knows and where there really are opinions are uh, what's going to happen this next year and, and going forth. And, and that really is everybody's entitled to an opinion. And, and we really don't know. Now, the, what you have and I have is that we can have an ed, a somewhat educated 
opinion based on what's happened in the past. Uh, but if you rely too much on, oh, that's never happened before, or, you know, they, uh, that can't happen because it's never happened before. Um, you got to be careful how you evaluate the past, because sometimes the past is a prelude to some new, new, uh, new thought, new approach. For sure. I think we're seeing collectors have to, I think more collectors are shifting in this. I think it's a period of transition for a lot of collectors right now, trying to decide which direction they want to go in the hobby. What's what they don't realize because they don't have the experience is that they're they're going to do that eight more times in the next decade or or twenty years, right? They don't realize that you and I have been shifting. Well, no, I mean historically, like I think there wasn't as much shifting if you go back through the decades, because there was a steady onward. You know, cards either stayed the same or went up slightly each year, and so there was a lot more predictability. You didn't know that at the time, right? But for the most part, people had their quests and they just uh, would buy stuff and add to their collection, complete their sets and all that. But over the last few years when it's up and down and a lot of ups, but now some downs, all bets are off. And so people are moving from one category to another because they they're looking for the next best, the next good thing or the next thing to hit that. I don't think that was done that much 30 years ago. It was like That's a good point. collected what you collected and you're on a quest. Now people are jumping around from quest to quest uh, to be opportunistic that, hey, this is up extra. This is very expensive now, or the price has gone down. Now what am I going to do? Well, maybe I'll I'll switch to shot soccer or I'll do, uh, you know, a lot of people are moving to vintage baseball, but some people can move from vintage baseball to modern baseball. Yeah. it's There, there are no rules anymore. And the hobby's a lot broader than it used to be. There are a lot more options, just like young people. There are way more options for the young person growing up now. Do you think because of the younger people getting in the hobby, and I see a bunch of them, and I'm happy about that, by the way. I, I think it's a good thing for the long-term health of the hobby. But it feels like, and maybe we were this way, the attention spans are so much smaller. Um, I, I'm looking at it as a 50-year-old. I mean, I think differently now than I did then, but I, and I don't remember how I thought back then, other than I wanted every Daryl strawberry card I could find and get my hands on, you know, I was a player collector and that was a quest. Like you said, yeah, I had a quest, right. And I didn't buy a whole lot outside of that. I mean, I bought occasional things, but I was on a mission. That was my hobby. That was my passion, I guess, just lack of a better word. Well, you had Daryl, but you also had uh, Juan Gonzalez. Yeah. And you had Josh Hamilton. <laughs> they're all, uh, you know, they're they're all sluggers. Yeah. Uh, they all had a following, uh, and they all had a little bit of a, of a, of a fall. You know, of a, uh, of a, of a, not a crash, but. Yeah, I get it. Uh, Daryl Strawberry, I think, is doing better now, but he had some dark days. Josh Hamilton had some dark days. And uh, Juan Gonzalez never, I think, really has never gotten the respect that he deserves. Right. Speaking of which, you're a Rangers fan. Were you happy at the World Series victory? Yes, finally, very happy. I went to one playoff game, but no World Series games. But it was just great watching on TV. I was riveted. They were a team of destiny. Yeah, they were really fun to watch. And most people that didn't watch them every day, like you and I had the opportunity to or listen or whatever we were doing, following the team on a daily basis is basically it. Uh, it yeah, was and following the manager and thinking, you know what? This guy, Bochi, is making the right calls. He's getting the right pitchers in there. He's knowing when to stay with them. He's got the right lineup. Uh, he's believing in these young guys. He's believing in the old guys. He's, he just he it was somehow infectious that uh, he had them believing that they were a team of destiny. Yeah. Baseball is way more mental than I think people give it credit for. It's a, it's a grind, right? 162 game season and then playoffs and this team is traveling and Rangers, especially were Seattle to Tampa to Baltimore, you know, they didn't play a home game for like two and a half weeks or something in the, in the midst of their run. It's a mental just beat down. And it, 
that doesn't get a lot of respect, I think, from non-baseball fans. They don't understand it. Uh, physically, of course, it's a beat down too because you're playing every day versus once a week or whatever, like in other sports, every few days. Um, but watching this team was really great. Do you think, you know, we had Bochi, you had Dusty Baker, these kind of old school managers. Potentially think, both Hall of Famers. Potentially both Hall of Famers. I think likely both Hall of Famers. On the management side. I think likely Bochi for sure. Now he's got four rings, right? I don't, I don't know how you keep him out, but I, I think that gives you some inspiration to go back and maybe revamp Beck, Beckett and go back and why don't you go back and take back over? Like a hostile takeover. What do you think? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Why not? I mean, <laughs> it could bring you back. You, you still got a lot to contribute. I think just like Boach and, and Dusty, right. you know, um, I'm, I'm available. I mean, I talk to the guys sometimes, but they, 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 uh, they're doing it the way they want to do it. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the blessing and the curse. I always have an opinion. Right. <laughs> so if they ask me for my opinion, I'll give it, but I, you know, I have my own opinion. I don't think I can be bought and paid for. I'm just, I just call it like I see it. And, uh, I, I'm hopeful this is a, this is a good year for, uh, for the company, especially in grading, but there's a lot of other things they do that, that uh, could use a boost as well. For sure. Um, I think you're enjoying the life you have now pretty good though. So I think I've got more podcast episodes now than anybody. Right. Yeah. You are kind of in there and you know, I've had, I had a battle with cage and Andrew and then they stopped. Now cage is back and I don't know if he gets to, to add to his count. But he's he's uh, prolific as well. But, you know, what's been my secret is, you know, 15 minutes or less a day yeah. now, three times a week. And I'm I, I'm enjoying it and I can I can I can keep doing that. And you're you've got lots of different venues and you're but you took a break and I get I it's, it's good. What what I don't like, I think breaks are good. Quitting is not. I mean, I don't I, I have no problem with people that take a hiatus in this industry. Uh, but I don't like it when people leave and don't come back. Right. Uh, Cause I believe once a collector, if you're really a true collector, you're, you're always a true collector and you can slow down, you can take a break, but you need to get back on the back in the saddle. And you I have people, you're re-energized I, now. I am. I had people that were like, are you done? I'm like, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's all good. Like is something wrong? Are you upset? No. Nothing, none of those things. I just needed a break from the podcast anyway. Um, just I, there is some obligation that we feel as content creators to our audience. And I certainly feel that. And I, I know how many people that tell me they enjoy the show. Sure. Uh, they may be lying to me, but they, they at least tell me that you're one of them. Okay. Thank you. Um, all right. I got to tell this story before we get too far in this episode and people turn us off. But there's a card behind you that I've seen in person. It's uh, if you guys can see Dr. Beckett's wall, he has a, we've done a home and home. Dr. Beckett's been to my house. I've been over to his house. We've swapped stories, told lies and showed cards and had fun doing that. And uh, I was, I didn't damage any of your cards. Did I? <laughs> Hopefully I didn't damage any of yours, but I came pretty darn close. Uh, I was at in his looking at his cards and he has the, 49, 48, 49 leaf, Jackie Robinson. And it's kind of high. You can see it's, you know, it's, it's not right in front of you. And I, I had to reach for it. I had to reach up for it. And as I did, it somehow slipped out of my hand and I watch it in slow motion, falling down, cascading among the cards along the card wall. And Ultimately, I, I catch it with the top of my foot so that it doesn't hit the floor with full force and it lays on the ground and I go to grab it and I proceed to kick it across the floor. And I, I feel like, oh, my gosh, Dr. Beckett's literally about to kill me. And then I think, OK, I hope Dr. Beckett kills me because if I have to tell my wife I broke it, I bought it. That was going to be a harder conversation. I'd much rather just, Jim, I would have rather you killed me. But I have to tell you, you handled it with such amazing poise and grace. I was absolutely floored with just how 
cool you were about it. And I'm like, ah. If I were to say it's only cardboard, that that, that wouldn't that wouldn't do it justice. But uh, I, you've raised a, a good conspiracy concept here: is that somebody could come over, uh, pull a card off the wall that they're interested in, and on purpose drop it and say, "Oh, I've damaged it. I'll have to buy it from you now." No. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily, Beckett slabs are like little tanks, so uh, they, uh, they do crack and chip on the corners. So, but uh, and I have no carpet in there. I mean, it's it's right. I didn't want to bring that, but yeah, I, I had broken the fall slightly with my foot. Okay. As I saw it coming, but it, did I really chip the corner of the, no, I'm saying the, the corners do chip if you drop them. From oh yeah. I was like, I didn't, cause, cause we looked at the car and I'm like, you're like, is it okay? Your reaction was so amazing. You looked at me and I picked up the card and you were like, did, is it okay? And I said, yeah, it looks fine. And you're like, okay. <laughs> Put it back and don't touch it. No, uh, we, but it was your excuse. Oh, it was crazy how nervous I was in that moment. And well, I, got them, I got them slabbed so that people could actually, they're not touching the card, but it, it, you know, I would be really nervous if it was not slabbed and it was just sitting certainly. there in a, in a, in a card saver or something. So I designed mm -hmm. my wall that everything needs to be in a BGS slab. So the, the holders are recessed to, to fit exactly that, but you can pop them out and you can drop them apparently. So apparently, so I get some cherry rice gloves for my guests. <laughs> get some stick them. Yeah, that won't, stick that won't hurt. The card. Stick them already out the, all the way out the door though. I, I better rethink that too. A lot of my guests, as we've been uh, talking about kind of next this year, 2024 and all that, I, I've been curious about what people think about card shows and do they think it's going to continue to morph into something different? Do they think the card show market is still strong? What say you about just card shows in general? What are your thoughts? I put myself in Kyle Robertson's shoes being the promoter here in Dallas, the show I go to the most. And uh, it's, it's tough to stay on top. He's got six shows every couple of months and they're, they're well done, but is each show that much different than the one before? Now this show coming up, it's in a little while. He's got a bunch more Rangers and he'll, he'll trade on that. And that'll be great for the people that are interested in that. But it's not an autograph show. It's a, it's really a card show. Right. Uh, but he doesn't have the, – the sponsors aren't that much different than the ones before. Uh, the trade nights, all the elements are in place. And so it's a question of – it's not like Disney World, but if you go to Disney World, how many times a year do you want to go to Disney World? Well, there's different – you know, there's different lands there, I guess. There's Epcot and, you know, all these other kinds of things. But – but, um, you know, they're, they're going to be an occasional show out of the six where one is not going to do as well as the one before it. And that yeah. might be a trend of one, or it might be the market saying that we don't want to do, uh, we're, we're more interested in high school football and college football in the fall uh, than we are going to a card show. I, I don't know. But I just think it's, it's pretty ripe. Uh, and so I'm hoping every show will be good, but if it's not, uh, again, and, and the other concern I have is that somebody's going to come in and say, Dallas, such a great area. We're going to, we're going to, in the off months that, that Kyle doesn't do, we're going to put in a show and get some of that. And again, that I don't want saturation. I want, I want a presence for the industry. I want visibility for the industry. It's kind of like 10 Xing the hobby for fanatics is that, you don't want it over overbaked. And so you, you want it to grow and to be a positive experience. But Kyle can't keep having record attendance each time. Sure. It, but the, all the shows, even the, the worst one I've been to was still a great show. But people are comparing, oh, it's down 10% since last time. Well, I don't know that it was even. I I love your, first of all, I love your Disneyland analogy because... When you think about it, the Magic Mountain or whatever ride you know that's featured is never it never changes. You can go this year, next year, or the year after, whatever. the The ride's essentially the same, 
And that's true of a, of a show experience. I like having a show that I can go to every couple of months and make my own decision personally about whether or not I want to attend for whatever reason. And, and it's nice to have, like you said, a presence locally where that you can do that. There are plenty of people around the country that don't have any shows as much as we think shows have, you know, just exploded across the country. There's still plenty of areas that don't have anything. So we're, we're at least blessed to have that. And, you know, I, maybe I don't go to six like I would have a few years ago. Maybe I go to three this year instead of six, you know, that's still, and it's nice to have the opportunity, but that's still a lot of shows. And, you know, I don't think Kyle or, or Rob in Burbank or any of those places need to pizzazz it up in a way that makes it, you just don't, the attraction is the cards itself and the ability to have a card show. To me, that's, that's what you do. I don't need a lot of bells and whistles and, and flair, right. With my card show. I just need a card show. Yeah, but, uh, Rob Ferris, my good friend there, he's, his challenge is he's covering the late summer and the, and, and, you know, in the, in the, in the winter, I guess, but somebody's liable to come into Anaheim or Ontario or Burbank, one of those areas and say, you know what? There's nothing stopping me from doing the fall and the spring. Right. And, and marketing and advertising and promoting in all the same places. And maybe I don't have as many dealers as Rob has, but it's still an opportunity for people to get their fix. And then who knows? Then then it dilutes or, you know, maybe saturates the area. Again, it's good problems to have. Sure. If if I just think there ought to be a brand ought to be important. Mike, it is important in most industries, and and Kyle has a brand, Rob has a, a brand, TriStar has a brand, you know, and they say if it's a TriStar show or TriStar is going to be there, or uh, you know, it, whoever's standing behind it, if Kyle is standing behind it, then he's got a track record, sure, and he's working it hard, and somebody coming in at the last minute, just because there's an opening there. Uh, I don't think people should stay away, but uh, brand ought to be important. I know what I'm going to get when I go to the to the uh, to the Waters Creek uh, Convention Center. Yeah. Show. Yeah. yeah, he's earned it too. He's earned it. Um, speaking of shows, I've had a lot of people over the last three months or so, especially it's it's ramped up quite a bit as we head into 2024. Start asking me about Cleveland because. The last Cleveland show was 18. So a lot of people are new to the hobby. have never, didn't even know they did nationals in Cleveland. You know, it's like this way back in the day in Cleveland. It wasn't that long ago, but long ago enough hobby timeline that there are plenty of new people in the hobby. And so I'm getting a lot of, hey, tell me about Cleveland. Tell me, you know, what should, what's it like and this and that. What are your recollections of the last few Cleveland shows that you can remember that you would pass on to people? Well, it's an outlier venue because it's it's not like any uh, the building is different, the location is different, uh, the proximity or lack thereof to the hotels is different. Uh, but it's still always been a good show. I, I'm just on the record as saying I think it'll be not as good as Chicago last year through no fault of Cleveland's. Now, I'm, I hope I'm wrong, but there are going to be less dealers there, so it's a smaller footprint. Now, that maybe that'll add to some enthusiasm, but I think people came out of the woodwork for the Chicago show. Even yeah. with all the extra square footage and extra tables and booths, it was crowded in every area of the building. And I, I think I think Cleveland will be equally crowded, but it's a smaller it's a smaller uh, a smaller place and less dealers. Now, maybe that means the dealers will do. 10% better because there's 10% less dealers there. Right. And that's less a silver lining. So less competition. I will, been... be, I will be there, but it's, it's, it, Chicago is so convenient. It's so yeah. hard to beat. It checks all the boxes and Cleveland is, is to its credit, you know, no credit of its own, but I mean, it's closer to the East coast. And so you're going to get some people driving there slightly different crowd it'll it'll be a great show it'll be a great show yeah i've been to cleveland in 14 and 18 the last two times they've had it there and i had i loved cleveland in terms of the show venue itself uh well you can't walk from the hotel 
you know, right. got some, there's some logistical things you've got to be concerned about. You're, you, you can't walk across the street to a restaurant for lunch. I mean, you're, you're captive there. You're That's captive. true. I hadn't thought about the food thing, but that makes a great point. You, there is nowhere to go eat around the IX center. So you better come packing snacks this year. Well, the, the outer perimeter, one side of it's got all those uh, food court kind of things. They're not sure. exotic, but, and there's a bunch of tables there. So I've sat down with people and, you know, had, had uh, impromptu uh, burger or whatever they've got, you know, it's uh, been fun. Yeah. That whole, I guess, I don't know which direct, when I, when you walk in the main door, the left side, it's all those tables and all, all that. Um, I remember what I remember what sticks out to me memories from Cleveland is the wide aisles. There's plenty of room to walk around. It's, uh, it's, it's a good show floor, you know, and, and now we won't have the Ferris wheel anymore. Right. I think they took that out. So yeah, I, I predict the, the aisles will be not as wide. I mean, I think the, the incentive, uh, what, what John Brogy's team de, uh, determined uh, showed last year, the Joe Drellick, I think, noted with interest is that putting in more tables is is good. Yeah. And so there it, it uh, when uh, the previous Clevelands were not crammed, there was plenty of room there, but there was extra room. There was there was a walk up area. You, you didn't walk. There wasn't a, you know, Alan Ro- Rosen was not, you know, 15 in front of the front. Uh, right gate there you, you had to walk 100 feet or something to get to the to some of the i think it's gonna they're gonna cram a lot more booths in there well i'm hoping to get to talk to joe drellich uh we we he and i've texted back and forth multiple times he wants to come on the show I'm, as we get closer to the national my plan is to have him on and kind of uh because i have again fond memories of cleveland the show less uh, you know but in it I don't remember it like being so burdensome with hotels and stuff that it just pissed me off because there well, were no, it's just a mile away. I mean, you got to get a shuttle or, you know, something yeah. like that. But, but most of the hotels have shuttles to the IX center from the lobby. You got to wait on one or whatever, it's but on the, on the half hour or something. But the, the other thing I haven't heard talked about is that, you know, the IX center where the Cleveland show is, was, was going to be mothballed. It was either going right. to be destroyed. It was when he decommissioned. And that's why I wasn't there for a while is because they were out of business. I think it was something in the city or there was, it, it was not, it was not cash flowing or something. There was some problem with it. And so my hope is that when they bring it back, they're bringing it back with intentionality and purpose that, Hey, if we're going to bring this back, we're going to, we're going to take out the, the Ferris wheel. We're going to refurbish it a little bit. Can't remember if the, are the bathrooms downstairs in that one? No, same floor. Okay, I guess which one has the bathrooms downstairs? Um, Baltimore, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Anyway, well, okay. So anyway, I'm, my point is, I think they're rethinking their their site, their venue, and thinking, yeah. you know, it wasn't working as well as it could. And so I'm hoping that when we get in there, we say, hey, this has been modernized. This has been refurbished. This has been uh, reconfigured. Uh, the the Ferris wheel was a was a was a landmark was a monstrosity but was a you know you could it was a discontinuity in the middle of the show yeah literally in the middle of the and you have to go hey I'm on this side of the Ferris wheel or when you're talking to your buddies you know which side of the Ferris wheel are you on and that was always a fun landmark to have uh yeah I'm expecting the show to be very successful this year I don't I don't see any reason why it wouldn't. Chicago was such a just mania um, that there's just still a lot of hype surrounding that show. They built a wonderful, just like you said earlier about branding, right? Talk about a brand. Uh, the National is probably the brand of the hobby, if you were to say, man, they've built this over. It is, but Cleveland has a little bit playing to your strength is a little bit of a vintage brand. Yeah. I mean, Cleveland is the city that has Strongsville or it's, it's a, actually a suburb, but it, you know, in Strongsville, that is the, one of the premier, well, it's, it's probably the, the only premier, the only and premier 
a vintage card show that really has some level of requirement for display of vintage uh, cards. And so Cleveland is a very strong vintage presence. So you may find that at this national, a stronger, a stronger vintage group. And again, all that is good. Well, I've mentioned before on the show, I'm, I'm going to Strongsville this year, this April for the first time. Have you been to Strongsville before? And I used to go every year, you know, back when it, because it was such a, I mean, it was, it was so concentrated. And so that and it, it was, uh, it was, it's, it was an old school show. It was in an old Holiday Inn and in an old uh, hotel, not a, even a giant ballroom, but everybody had six foot tables. People didn't have these islands and things like that and they had their stuff out there weren't there there weren't uh so it was it it, i don't know that it was clearly uh, completely vintage in those days but it was strongly vintage the the original partners that started it all were were vintage collectors so this year they've moved it the holiday inn is there and that's where we're all staying but they have an arena across the street to send across the parking lot. Basically they've moved the show there. Okay. Allow for more tables, more people. Uh, so that's to me, encouraging that they have a demand. Yeah. Apparently is high enough to, to need that. Um, so I'm excited to go this year for the first time and, and check that experience out. And I've become a more of a guy of experiences, right? I've, I I want to go, do things with the hobby, go to Burbank, go to Strongsville, go to, I can go to a Dallas show whenever I want, you know, every couple of months. And that's kind of become old hat. Do you have some concern that, you know, when you go to the Dallas show, it's every 10th table or so has something that will pique your interest. You go to Strongsville, every table is going to be worthy, pretty much every table is going to be worthy of you checking it out. And, you know, back in the early days when I went, not everybody had showcased. They just stacks of cards and, right. and array of interesting stuff that was old and eclectic. So I think you're going to have a great time there. Oh, I'm stoked. And it's going to take, like, I've, I've already mentally prepared myself to not be able to see everything and not be able to, you know, I'm not going to see every card in the joint. You never do anyway. But just, it, you're right. In Dallas, it's easier to skip, you just skip a bunch of tables that you instantly look at and they don't appeal to your hobby interests. You're like, okay, that's easy. Move on. I don't need modern basketball or soccer or whatever it is. It'll be a challenge to get through it as best I can. I want to be social. There's a lot of people that I know that are going to Strongsville this year. It's kind of become the the new Dallas, like, like Dallas was early after the pandemic where everybody wanted to come to Dallas. The Strongsville show this year feels like the people that I, you know, kind of hang with the vintage crowd, they want to go to Strongsville this year. And we're kind of making it a, Hey, everybody, let's go to vent. Let's go to Strongsville, you know? And well, you're talking about one side of the table, but on the other side of the table, the, the vendors, the dealers, every one of them, Mike is a potential future friend for you. Cause right. they're going to be kindred spirits. I mean, I, I suppose some of them will be younger, a bunch will be older, but they're, it's the way it was in the old days that these were the veteran collectors that were selling their dupes. And so yeah. they were very not, these weren't cards that they picked up. They don't know anything about. No, these are lovingly uh, handled uh, not. And some of them are in nice shape too, but the, these, these are dealers selling their, their, uh, their uh, trade in sales stock. And, and they're more consequently, they, they can be way more open to trading. Right. Which I would encourage you to consider that. Okay. I got to find some stuff to trade. I got to, um, but I am, that also brings a point. I love that they're going to be guys, like you said, kindred spirits. And so I'm going to have great conversations with them. Now they're not, wait a minute. They're not Texas kindred spirits. They're Ohio kindred spirits. Okay. <laughs> so that don't play your Texas Ranger stuff. On. I'm just, <laughs> the, uh, I just say they're, they're old school. They were always old school baseball. I mean, Cleveland is really an original baseball town, and they're coming from, you know, a lot of them around Ohio and other places too. But, but Ohio is a great state for, for older collections. So I need to talk talk Naplage away and 
That's you know. going back maybe a little farther than you need to. But uh, How about Larry Doby and uh, good. yeah, Doby's good. Do some Doby, Satchel Page. Yep, yep. Bob Lemon, Bob Feller. Yep. Uh, I can I can talk that talk. Fifty four Indians. Just channel your fifty four Indians. Fifty four forty nine Indians too. One of the greatest seasons. One of the greatest regular seasons of of all time. Yeah. Um. Where do you think we are? You know, I don't know if you got to listen to my conversation with Matt Turner about. I did. Mainly, I didn't want it to be all about PSA because he gets that enough. I wanted him to feel comfortable and talk about. I just wanted him to be a guy, you know, another collector, you know, a fellow hobbyist. You did a great job. You know, basically, you know, I, uh, I don't envy you, but I mean, you have a more longer form journalism, giving people a chance to, you don't have to heavily edit it. You, you let the people talk more than I do, I guess, because I'm trying to shoehorn it into 15 minutes, but right. that was great. That was great. You, he had ample time. You shared your thoughts. He shared his thoughts. He was candid. I thought you did an excellent job. And he was quite candid. Um, and we, we talked a lot. We talked way more off the air afterwards than we did even for the episode. He was incredibly generous with his time uh which was amazing and we just but it was because we found a connection we we both we liked we liked the same kind of cards and we're sitting there showing cards to each other after like you know just hey look at this look at this and of course he is you know i have the same card just in a much lower grade or whatever it's it's so but it's similar you know it's still a, that's kindred spirits there too as you were mentioning as you listen to that i i think psa has nowhere to go but continue to grow honestly because grading's not going anywhere overall i think the overall pie is going to keep getting bigger of which psa will get their part sgc beckett will get their parts etc where do you see the grading world going am i is it going to shrink or grow or stay about the same what's your opinion well, i'm not going to stay the same it's, it's going to shrink or grow mike i mean basically uh it's, I will say this, it's, it's hard to imagine this right now, but it's, it's not a simple matter to stay on top. Okay. Uh, because then everybody's shooting for you. And so I, I think that what I love about Nat is that he's, he's tuned in because he's, he's, he's a customer, you know, he, he kind right. of understands the industry. And so I think they're in good hands, but, but uh, every other grading company is, is setting their sights on. I want some of their, pie what what psa's done right is that they've expanded if they figured out a way to to uh as an industry volume leader to train and hire uh you know additional staff that can grade and populate other offices in remote in remote locations that's powerful because I, I think that was a huge challenge for our old company uh when we were trying to add people because i think our training uh, took longer because we the, the with the and, and I I think it let it leads to more dip, more strict or more specified grading, but um, you know that's that's a challenge there with PSA keeping it simple. There's no nine point fives. Right, it's just one less thing to worry about. And so next thing you know, they've got offices, they've got multiple offices uh, opening up new new markets in in different continents. So I think by being in multiple locations, not only can you handle more cards and increase your volume, whether it's here or overseas, but you also have a, a new pool of workers to choose from. And I think that's always the biggest challenge is finding the right people for the job yeah. in a certain geographic area. If you if you pigeonhole yourself, you are stuck almost in it. You can only grow so big. Right. Was that your biggest challenge, would you say, as well, let me During that in a different way. I don't think it was my challenge. Is my mindset, you know, we built a big headquarters building and I wanted to fill it up. And it, it we actually built more than we needed. So I didn't think we'd need more people. And we never really did fill it up because the, the industry kind of peaked at that point. But I wanted to create the esprit de corps and the team orientation of all of our employees there were, I mean, we had a couple of work from home kind of situations, but mainly it was 
people coming in, being at the office, the camaraderie. We had a basketball court in the middle of our of our building and all that stuff. So I really felt like this was a, a that was part of the esprit de corps. And so to have another location on the West Coast or the East Coast or in Asia was not something I didn't really want to do it. I wanted to make it work so that the cards were coming into Dallas. I, I did an episode about kind of grading logistics, and I realized that the logistics of grading, uh, we I spent 99% of the time on making sure that our system and processes were airtight once the cards got in the building. Once they're in the building, there's lots of cameras. There's you know a lot of uh, checks and balances. But until it gets into the building or after it leaves the building, some bad things could happen. And so uh, and so that and, and that was my not pessimism, but my probably realism that if we have an office in um, in New Jersey or in uh, Los Angeles or something, uh, that's another opportunity for transit. And you can insure it. But people don't want an insurance settlement when you lose their grail card. Yeah, they want the card. They want the card. Yeah. Yep, I've had that happen more times than I wish to express out loud. Uh, that I no, I just want the card. It, it, it could be even a simple eBay sale. You know, I bought I buy something on eBay and it doesn't get to me for what any number of reasons through the wonderful USPS or whatever, and uh, they all they give me a refund. But I'm like, no, I wanted the card. I bought it because I wanted the card. Um, that happens sadly occasionally and that's that's just part of it but i love that you built that and i and i see your challenges with being in multiple locations and having to deal with the logistical see that part of it i was risk averse and yeah. Nat nat turner being a different generation and a and a uh, an entrepreneur to a much higher degree than what i was uh saying this is a challenge that we can meet this is part of scaling a business with a couple more zeros on it, or at least one more zero, let's say. But I mean, uh, we, we had a sufficient, uh, very nice business. I'm not complaining about that, but I didn't want to 10X my business. Right. And I didn't need to. I wanted to, I liked it that we, the employees all knew each other. There wasn't like somebody working some other place that we didn't, we'd never met them or something. We had, we'd have a holiday party or something and, Everybody in the you knew the people's family and spouses and kids and stuff. So, to me, if you if if Nat wants his vision to come to reality, to me, you got to silo the country. You know, you got to take West Coast and Mid, and and you go. All right, we have a Dallas office. Let's they don't yet, but if they did, or a Kansas City office somewhere in the middle of the country, Chicago. Everybody that's you know you you basically draw little lines and say everybody that's sending cards sends them here. You don't send them all to California and then have to ship them all over to these places. That doesn't make any logistical sense. But if you, I have that on in my business where if I'm turning in a piece of paperwork for a nationwide company, I look at the map and go, okay, I'm here. I have to send it to this office. That's where I send my paperwork because I'm located here. I go here. And I think that would take some acclimation within the hobby, but I think you could get there or it could be automatic based on your return address you know, or wherever you're sending your cards from, it would automatically route your, give you a printing label. You send them to here. If you're on the East coast, you're sending them to Raleigh, North Carolina or New Jersey or wherever you're going to do that. And then you could scale it in a way. Not, I do agree with you that shipping them to one location and then farming them out to the different, uh, let's call them, you know, satellite grading facilities would be perilous at, at a minimum. Well, I'm not just saying that because I, I wasn't going to have them send it here and then we were going to send it somewhere. They would have sent it somewhere, but they would be sending it to a group that we had less oversight about. Gotcha. Or, or other things could go wrong. Whereas we, we, uh, so yeah, I, that probably was a little risk averse. We were growing fast enough. So I wasn't thinking, oh, we're stagnant. We weren't stagnant. We were growing. But uh, especially the grading was growing for at the time I was there. And it was it was a wonderful business. But well, it's, it's there are problems with it because people really care about their cards and very minute, uh, very small differences 
you know, they could say, well, they, I, this is not the card I sent in. Well, they don't necessarily have a, a high res photo of when they sent it could have been damaged in the mail. Uh, I don't, you know, again, if it would have been damaged when it was inside our building, we would, we would have been captured that. Right. We had no reason to not report that. Sure. So but overall, that's on a different scale and right. he's thinking really big and it's not a winner take all business where only one grading company will be in business. But it is one of these things where if you're where there's uh, uh, network effects, you know, like there are in some businesses is that you get kind of an exponential benefit because you have so many people like you, you want those slabs because because there's so many of them, then you can think, well, I, I mainly want to get PSA slabs because that's what I have. And enough people think that way that if you're the second or third or fourth place player, uh, you've got a, even if you have your own directory, uh, your own uh, yeah, registry, you, yeah. registry, you can't, you can't be, um, you're, you're not the primary registry. The universal registry, we'll see about that. You mentioned everybody kind of, if you're on top, people are coming after you. They want to take your business. They want to become number one. I, I try to rack my brain on what it would take for a grading company to overtake PSA. And I have a really hard time coming up with anything that is reasonable. You know, I don't. You don't? What would it take? I'm not going to say. Oh, <laughs> okay. Because I want my own company to do it, but I have an idea. Okay. So well, nothing is ever in cement in this industry, even rookie cards. You know, they're, they're, you know, the definition of a rookie card and the extreme demand for a rookie card. Will that always be the case? Will the, the definition be in cement or is it, you know, the, nothing is, is completely calcified permanent. The, yeah. People could change and there could be reasons and I could come up with plausible scenarios how PSA could be. Of course, if if I did it or somebody did it, PSA has enough of a war chest if they saw it coming and they didn't realize it was a disruptive technology, they would they would buy it. Right. And bring it in house. But so Yeah, I'm I'm the only you, me and Rich Klein are the only fossils in this industry, right? There's no, there's no <laughs> fossilization happening. Rich, love Rich, so I can have fun with Rich. And I'm um, still a fossil too, and I, I, I like to do it, but I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit of a free thinker. But you know, when push comes to shove, I'm, I'm pretty conservative in the way I do things, the way I've always done them. I try to do them with integrity, and, and, uh, but it's not, you know, but, but I do come up with some crazy ideas sometimes. So are you going, what's your show schedule this year? Are you going to do obviously the national and a few Dallas shows or what else? I'll probably do six Dallas, uh, six of the, of the Allen Plano waters Creek, his big ones. Uh, I mean, if, if I have some kind of a family conflict, I won't make some of the days or I, I guess I could be out of town, but generally I don't go out of town those weekends. Cause it's, it's fun. It's fun. Yeah. I'm going to miss Sunday this next one coming up. Cause we're, 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 uh, I'm, I'm doing something with my wife. And so to miss a day is not the end of the world, but, um, and then he does some Arlington ones or some, you know, over in the mid city. So I've seen you over there might do one or two of those, but, but I've just stayed for a couple hours one time. So, you know, if sure. I'm driving, if I fly, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fly and stay a couple hours. I'm going to, in fact, the, what I got invite, I wanted, I, the, you know, I mentioned that in one of my, you know, uh, New Year's episodes is that I'd like to add one more show to my show circuit. And this year, I'm not sure I will, but, but Toronto is near the top of the list. Burbank or Anaheim or is near at or near the top of my list. I'm getting pitched for the culture collision, um, which would include a side trip to, uh, you know, what is it? Sports cards HQ or, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Joe Davis's store, you know, that, that, I mean, that's the way I used to do show trips. I'd, I'd look for the big sh uh, shops in the area and there, 
you know, in the old days, there'd be more than one. There'd be not just the big show, but there'd be some other shows. And so I was, I hit the pavement. I hit the pavement. And you made it an experience, just like I. It was fun. It was fun. And, you know, the guys did it too. They had fun with it too. So it was traveling, you know, it's like going to museums and stuff. You know, you're, you're every, it's a, it's a, it's an experience each time. And uh, the fun, the part that wasn't fun in the old days, I never really bought anything other than something for a type card to show in the almanac. But now if I, I can sit down at a table, say, hey, there's some interesting cards, I can buy some of them. And nobody's going to say, hey, you can't buy those. Right. They're for sale. And I'm a buyer. <laughs> I have money. Huge bucks. I'm not cornering any market. I'm just buying things that are interesting to me. And it keeps me sharp. So as we put a bow tie on this episode. Do you have any final thoughts for collectors out there as they enter 2024? Well, I mean, just keep an open mind. I mean, look for ways to enjoy the hobby and that might mean business as usual. And it might mean, uh, like you said, I think it's re-energized you to take a break and you don't go to every Dallas show and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and, And if I didn't go to a Dallas show, it wouldn't be the end of the world somebody would probably get some of the cards that I otherwise would have bought. On the other hand, they may still be there. Some of them, you know, two months later. And so uh, that's why I kind of gently indicate um, and let the dealers know if I've, if I've looked through a box, I said, don't, don't put it in a different box, but I don't want to look through this box again because I've been through it. Right. Uh, That is not fun. And I, I'm not, completely rich Klein is more encyclopedic than I am. But if I go, if rich goes through a box that he went through before, he knows it for me. I probably know it. I think, wait, I've been through this before. Rich probably would know what the next card is coming up. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, Jim, thank you so much for being on the show again. Uh, always great to hear your thoughts and just, uh, talk cards with you. It's, it never gets old and I appreciate your friendship and um, to everybody out there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching as always. And we'll see you next week for another episode. Have a good one and keep collecting.